Hello, my name is Toby. I'm the vicar. If I've never met you before, it's great to have you here. Particularly warm welcome if you're here for the first time, if you're visiting, if you're a guest, you haven't been in a while. It's fantastic to have you here with us um, tonight. Um, it is uh, it's hot in here, isn't it? Um, and um, I hope you can feel free to like if you need to. Uh, walk outside, get some fresh air if you need to, whatever you need to do. Um, but we've opened the doors. Hopefully, it's going to keep the the, um, the air moving and it won't be too hot. But um, uh, it's great to have you here. We're um, we're looking at a sermon series, a mini sermon series on the church. We're calling it Why Church. But the question really is, what what is the church? What's the point of the church? What is it? And if I asked you that question, what is the church? What would you say? How would you define the church? Or if you went outside here walk down St. Nicholas Street or Baldwin Street and ask someone, what is the church? What do you think they would say? They might say, it's one of those, isn't it? This thing with the big spire. Most people would say that. Or they might say, it's the institution. It's the Church of England. Or it's the Catholic Church or, you know, one particular denomination. Uh, they might say, oh, it's an event that you go to. You might say that. I go to church. You know, church is a thing. But actually, uh, all of those are, are great answers in one sense. But in the New Testament's definition, none of them are right. Uh, did you know that there were no church buildings for the first 300 years of the Christian faith? Um, so that's a relatively recent invention. Uh, the institution of the church, there was no such thing. So what we need to do is go back to the New Testament and understand what Jesus intended for the church, but also what happened in the church. So that's what we want to do a little bit. We did a little bit last week. Uh, so Matt started off our, our series talking about celebration in the city. We'll come back to that. Uh, and today I want to do, talk about something slightly different, which is connection in the community. And uh, we're going to unpack a couple of verses um, about that. Now, having said that the church is not primarily a building, the New Testament loves to use the analogy of a building as the church. So it's a little bit confusing. It's not a building, but there is an analogy. It's a bit like people are trying to find ways of describing the church. And one of the descriptions is the church is a bit like a building, but not on any ordinary building, a living building. Uh, so St. Paul talks about Jesus Christ is the cornerstone uh, we talked about this last week. The cornerstone is the corner of the building that you set first, and everything is set around that. It's the deciding factor about where the church is, what it does. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He's the stone. But St. that was St. Paul. St. Peter takes that analogy a little bit further, and he describes Jesus as not just a stone, but a living stone. So uh, if you want to have a look in your Bible, if you've got it, or if you want to look on your phone, 1 Peter 2, this is the, the Apostle Peter, by the way, who was um, uh, a fisherman, who uh, famously denied Jesus three times, who was reinstated by Jesus after his resurrection. So this is Peter, who established much of the early church in Jerusalem. He describes the church in these ways. Verse, uh, chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him... The living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. So that's Jesus. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
So here's this imagery of living, a living stone, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, but then a whole nother building, living stones being made together to form this spiritual building. I love that. He says that each of you are stones. So you are a living stone as part of the church. And if you look at uh, a wall that's been made with stones. If you go down to the crypt, in fact, which is about a thousand years old, has been here since the 12th century, uh, you will find stones. And it's not bricks, it's stones. And each of them is completely different. If you go downstairs, you'll have a little look. There are big stones, small stones, smooth stones, rough stones, all sorts of different ones. But they are fitted together perfectly to make this wall. That's the picture that Peter is trying to say is that each of you are stones and each of you is different. If you're here today, you have, you're completely unique. There is no one like you. The person next to you is not like you. No one else in this room is is like you. You are completely unique because God made you in a unique way. You have a unique combination of experiences, of characteristics, of gifts and talents of passions. No one is like you. You are a unique living stone, part of the building, part of the community that is the church. And actually, the building uh, is an unhelpful analogy in some ways because the picture primarily in the New Testament is not of a building, but of a family. So living stones, father, fathers, mothers, uncles, aunts, sisters, brothers, that is the primary analogy that people use. So basically, if you look around the room and you're a Christian, these are your brothers and sisters. Have a little look around the room. Everyone's very British. Go on, have a little look around the room. If you're a Christian, these are your brothers and your sisters. And if you're not a Christian... And you're thinking about becoming a Christian. These are your potential brothers and sisters. That may put you off. I don't know if that puts you off becoming a Christian. I don't know. But anyway, this is the picture. And the reason why it's a family, a community, is because it's a living, organic picture. So living stones is a much better description. Uh, So uh, I googled um, living stones because I was talking about it to see what the internet has to say about living stones. And the first thing that came up was this picture I think we've got. Those are living stones, and they are succulents. Do you know what a succulent is? It's like a little cactusy type plant, and each one of those is described as being a living stone, and they're all completely different. And what they do is they look like stones, so when you walk along the path, you think, oh, there's a stone, but actually it's alive. And that's the key to this analogy, is that the church is alive because it's full of alive people, living people. Now, why is being alive organic important? Because living things grow, don't they? That's one of the the signs, characteristics of living things is that they grow. So anything that's living should grow. Anything that's healthy and living should grow. And that's been the case of the church. So the church started When Jesus ascended, commissioned the disciples, it said on the day of Pentecost, there was 120 people there. There was 120 in that family. And ever since then, it's begun to grow. So after the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches this great sermon, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and it says 3,000 people were added to their number today. Can you believe that? 120, a group of 120 people suddenly becomes a group of 3,120. 
That's dramatic growth. And we'll see at the end of the passage we're about to read that, that actually every day there was incremental growth. So healthy things grow. You would expect the church to grow if it is healthy. And actually that has been the case ever since that moment. You may look around the UK and think, oh my goodness, the church is definitely not growing. It's shrinking. All the statistics at the moment, the surveys, is that actually there are fewer people, fewer people going to church. Not necessarily fewer people who are interested in spiritual things, but certainly going to the church or the institutional church. It's very easy to look in Western Europe and think, okay, this is on a downward trajectory. But if you look around the world, the picture is completely different. There are 2.6 billion Christians around the world. Uh, the estimates are that in the last year alone, uh, 44 million people became, or were Christians. So either became Christians through birth or were, um, uh, became Christians. 44 million in the last year. That's quite a lot of people. And that is the picture that we've seen ever since the early church, the 120 and even before that, the 12. Because healthy things grow. Now, we might look at our, our church and say, well, hang on a sec. It's not happening here. What's going wrong? And that's a really good question to ask. It's not an easy answer. But one of the things we could look at is say, well, what is, if healthy things grow, how can we become the healthiest possible church around? How can we become the healthiest possible growing organic church? How can we become the healthiest possible people if we're the living stones that make it up? Surely if we become healthier and grow, then we might see growth happening. The problem is that if you focus on growth, you don't necessarily get anything. If you focus on health, you get growth as well. So why don't we focus on health? So what I'd love to do is to unpack what a healthy church might look like based on the very first example of a church we see in Acts. So we're going to read Acts chapter 2. Again, if you want to turn back to this, if you were in 1 Peter, turn back to Acts chapter 2. Excuse me. And... Um, and we're going to have a look at the just after the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 says, They devoted themselves, this is the disciples, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a picture of the early church. So it's a good place to look. So what I'd love to do briefly tonight is to look at this gathering. The word church in Greek is ecclesia, which means a gathering of people. What does this gathering of Christians look like? So we're going to look at who was there, where they met, when they met, what they did when they met, how they were when they were meeting, and what were the result was? Very short talk. Seven points. <laughs> Who, where, when, what, how results. Okay. So here we go. Who? A little whistle stop talk. Who was there 
at the, at the beginning. It says, verse 44, all the believers were together. Who was there? All of them. Everyone. There was no one excluded. Everyone was there. Everyone who was a Christian by that stage was there. And that's a really interesting thing to observe, is that you had this eclectic community of people drawn together because of their communal love for Jesus, their unique love for Jesus, and they were drawn from all parts of society. Sociologists and historians are are, are united in saying that there was something unique about the early Christian community that broke all the taboos for the common uh, way of associating, whether that be political, social, or religious. There was something inclusive about this community that broke through borders, broke through the male-female divide that was huge at the time, broke through the uneducated-educated divide. The Greek uh, philosophy at the time was just for the educated. This smashed through barriers. You had Paul, who was an intellectual, hanging out with Peter, who was a fisherman. Uh, so you have men, women, educated, uh, uneducated. You had rich and poor. You had religious and non-religious. You had Gentiles and Jews. Uh, you also had every ethnic mix that you can imagine. On the day of Pentecost, this is what it says. There were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, uh, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. I don't know how many of those places you know, by the way. You might not know any of them. But I can just tell you that is European, it is North African, and it was Middle Eastern. Already, you've got a complete melting pot of people who are the church. Nothing has ever been like this in history, is the diversity and inclusion that you see. And what I love about that is that the church was a place for everyone. And so the church should be a place for everyone. Everyone is welcome. Uh, we, have, uh, we meet on Sundays. This is our celebration in the city. But we also, on Tuesdays, meet in smaller groups. So we have hubs. Uh, we have two hubs, a central hub, a Stokescroft hub, where we meet together as a smaller group. And then they, in turn, break into homes, which meet uh, locally in their different areas. We host a little home group in our house. And I have to say, it's one of my favorite things about church in our front room, we welcome everyone who wants to come, who's local, who's part of the, the central hub, and we say, just come and join us. We have got, and I went through our WhatsApp group today, we have got Bristolians. <laughs> We've got Devonians. <laughs> We've got Cornish. No, no one. Uh, we've got DFLs down from London. Do you know those? That, yeah, people who move from London, anyone from London. Uh, we've got people from the Midlands. No, no one other. Okay, we've got people from Hong Kong, India, South Africa, and <laughs> and America. Right, Dimmy? Um, so we have, what I love about it is it's such an eclectic mix of people from all different backgrounds, uh, different um, situations in life. And yet we come together to talk about Jesus. And that's what the church was like in the early days. Everyone was there. So who's the church for? The answer is everyone. Where? Where does the church meet? Well, as I said, it's a group of people, but they have to meet together. Ecclesia means gathering. Verse 46. They met in the temple courts. Now, the temple courts were in Jerusalem, 
the temple was the focal point of the city. Still is, if you go to Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. It's where everyone gathered and gathers. And so they used to hang out in public to talk about Jesus. They used to hang out together to worship in public. This was like what we were talking about last week, the celebration in the city. They said, we want people to know that we're followers of Jesus. Most people thought they were crazy, talking about this rabbi who had died, that they believed had risen from the dead. And yet there was something about them that meant that every single day more people were intrigued. What's going on? What's this all about? I can see something. This thing began to grow. And there's something amazing about us gathering here today. I'd just love to encourage you for coming out tonight. You could be doing anything. You could be watching the rugby. You could be, uh, you could be out with your friends. I don't know what you might be doing, but it's an amazing thing to be here tonight in the center of the city. We, we have this little tagline that we are in the city for the city because there's something about this location which I think is really significant. I said that earlier there's been a church on this site for a thousand years. Uh, if you come over from the south of Bristol and you look down Victoria Street, you see the spire of St. Nick's. If you're over in uh, Bastille Bay where they've just opened the, um, the, um, the Bastille Bridge again, uh, you can see the spire. This place is central. This is the oldest part of Bristol. Aren't we lucky to meet in this building and to say publicly to the city of Bristol, we believe that Jesus is alive. Uh, th- this building didn't used to be a church for many years since the Second World War. And I've said this before many times, one of our archdeacon in London had this little saying. He said that a closed church is like the empty palace of a long-forgotten king. People look at it and think the king is dead. If it's, if it's empty, it's dead. There's nothing going on. But if you open a church again, people go, whoa, what's going on here? Maybe the king is alive. And that's what we're doing here in the city. But it's not just about the gathered community. It's also about the dispersed community. And what we see here is also in verse 46, it says they met together in their homes. There is an importance of both the public worship space that inv- invites everyone, everyone's welcome, but also the more private and intimate gathering that we have in hubs and homes. Why do we do that? Because we want to get to know one another. Hopefully you had 30 seconds to talk in that little break we had earlier. Maybe you'll have another minute at the end. But actually to build relationship, we need to spend a bit of time together. And that's what they did in the early church. When, thirdly, did they meet? Verse 46. Every day they met together in the temple courts. Every day. They met every day. I mean, could you imagine having church every day? Don't answer that question. <laughs> every day. Why were they meeting every day? Because they had discovered something that has so changed their lives. This person, Jesus, had so impacted them. They were like, we need to talk about this. Who else met Jesus? Who else encountered him? Tell me a couple of stories about what Jesus did. Hey, you were healed. Tell, me, tell us how that happened. Oh, you encountered Jesus uh, and, and, and something, you know, a light bulb. Tell me the stories. They would just hang out together and talk about Jesus. What did he say? Remind us of those things. They had such a love for meeting together because they had such a love for Jesus. Now, obviously, if we spend all of our time in this building, it's not very good, is it? Because people out there need to know. We need to do our jobs. We need to do all the stuff that we need to do. But what I'm really challenged by is their enthusiasm for gathering. 
the writer of Hebrews says this, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Hebrews was written a little bit later probably than what the events that we're describing here. And in those few years, the writer felt it was really important to say, do not give up meeting together. In other words, they'd gone from meeting every day to then uh, the early Christians established Sunday as the Lord's Day when Jesus rose again, not the Sabbath, it was Saturday. Okay, Sunday was a crucial, crucial day. But obviously by the time they were writing, the writer of Hebrews, people had begun to give up meeting together. Why is it so important? Because when we come together, we encourage one another. We help one another. And we'll get onto that in this next point. What did they do when they met together? Well, I just want to pick out three headings of things that we can see in this passage. First, they, they were learning, they were loving, and they were doing liturgy. <laughs> that was an interesting one, wasn't it? You love a bit of liturgy. So we love a bit of liturgy. Uh, I'll explain what liturgy is in a moment. Loving, learning, liturgy. So uh, just briefly, uh, learning. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they were learning about who Jesus was. Uh, it said they de- um, devoted themselves to the fellowship. So there's loving one another. And then it says it devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread was uh, communion, effectively. It was remembering Jesus' death and resurrection. So let me just unpack those briefly. Learning. Uh, if you're here and you're a student, you're in Bristol to learn. Uh, how many, interesting, how many, how many students, would you just raise your hand if you're a student here today of any form? Don't be shy, there's a few, there's a few. Uh, what an amazing thing to be able to dedicate three years to learning. Uh, but what you're learning is going to equip you for, hopefully for a job or something, but, but, but the idea here is that they were learning something that was going to completely change their worldview, which was to understand who Jesus was. I've been reading a, a book by Tom Holland, who's a historian. And I've been reading this book since 2019. It's quite a thick book. It's been on my bedside table since 2019. And I just sort of, it's, it's quite heavy, but it's basically, it's really interesting because it's called Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. His thesis, and he's, he's not a Christian uh, historian, but his thesis is that The way that we live and think today in Western society is almost entirely shaped by the Christian worldview. In other words, life before Jesus and Christianity looked very different. Everything that the culture that we swim in, all the benefits that we have, the ideal, many of the ideals that we have, human rights, uh, you know, all sorts of care for individuals, uh, uh, equality, these all stemmed from the Christian ethic. And yet we swim in it, and therefore we don't notice it. It's just all around us. And yet if you were to take that out, society would look very different. Now, that's a wonderful thing to explore. Go and read the book. I'm I'm still still three quarters of the way through, five years later. But anyway, it's it's, it's an interesting thing to explore if you're interested in that subject. But the reason why I say this is... We also are surrounded by a huge amount of culture and information and education that goes into our brains without us even realizing. If you're anything like me, that you know, your homepage, uh, your Twitter X, uh, it, um, your your feed or whatever it is, social media, uh, Instagram, whatever you're consuming is educating you. 
And everything that goes in is changing and shaping who you are. These Christians, early Christians, had been shaped by one worldview. And then they'd encountered Jesus. And they said, I want to be shaped by that worldview. I want that one. And so they dedicated, they devoted themselves to the most life-changing teaching they'd encountered, which was the teaching of Jesus. But it wasn't just a book club. It wasn't just a TED talk where they heard someone talking about Jesus. It was more than that. So it wasn't just about learning. It was about also about loving. It says they devoted themselves to fellowship. The, the Greek word is koinonia, uh, which basically means uh, a dedication to one another, a, a sacrificial love for one another in fellowship, in, in, in encountering fellows. So, for example, what they did, they ate together, it says. They prayed for one another. They gave, it says, to anyone who was in need. This is an amazing vision of community that's quite hard to replicate. But what an aspiration, hey? Wouldn't you love to be in a community which cared so deeply for one another that they gave uh, sacrificially to one another, whatever needs there were, they were praying for one another. And... I don't know how you find life, but life's quite hard. You may be fine, but I think life is really difficult. Life is hard. Life is actually a series of problems. You're either coming out of a problem or in a problem or about to go into another one. Sorry, that's a pretty depressing way of looking at it, isn't it? But it, life is a series of problems. Now, do you want to face those problems on your own? Or would you love to have some people with you? That's the picture of church that we have here, is a community of people who just went through the ups, the downs of life, caring for one another, helping one another. So my, um, our little home group, I, I, I sort of messaged them and said, um, can you put on our chat anything that you find helpful about home group? Any, literally, please, anything. Um, no, I, said, I basically said either our home group or a better home group that you've been part of in the past. And these are, these, these are the things they said. Uh, what have we got? We've got, uh, it has to be the relationships, the feeling of having a second family, someone said. I feel like in home you get the chance to be honest with people and get honest answers. Uh, someone else said, uh, I'm a freelancer, I change work and colleagues constantly, and I really value the consistency of this group. Uh, someone else said, home group is like an extended family, again, that word of family, uh, and cake, sweets, and puddings. Uh, it's a smaller group to get to know one another. Someone else said, yeah, I agree. Uh, I love being able to pray for each other and have a group where you can send prayer requests to one another. Um, someone else said, I echo all of the above, but also uh, groups provide you a challenge to hear faith and wisdom of other people who've been in the race longer. Those are just a little flavor. And obviously our group is not perfect. We're a whole bunch of imperfect people. But I guess the challenge again is, do you want to do life on your own or would you like some people to help? And we spend most of our time pretending we're fine when we're not. We all do it. But isn't it nice to have a couple of people that you can say, I am not fine. <laughs> can you help? Can you pray? Can we talk? 
So it, it wasn't just a TED talk. It wasn't just a book club. And it wasn't, this isn't just a social gathering. You can find social, you can find great friends all over the place. There is a third dynamic to this. It was not just loving, not just, not just learning, loving, but also liturgy. And I talked about this before because what was unique about this group is obviously it was focused on the person of Jesus Christ. And that is what the church is unique about, uniquely about the person of Jesus Christ. And next week, Josh is going to talk to us about communion. What is going on when we take communion, celebrate the Lord's Supper? And we're going to be unpacking that a little bit. So that's a little trailer for next week. So uh, who gathered? Everyone. When do they gather? Uh, regularly. Where do they gather? In big groups and small. What do they do? They learned, they loved, they did liturgy together. Last question, how did they do it? There's one little word that's interesting here. It says, they devoted themselves to X, Y, and Z. All these different things, it says they devoted themselves to. What is devotion? Devotion is giving yourself to someone. If you're devoted to someone, you give yourself to them. You share your life with them. You feel it's important. You feel they're important. And these Christians early on had this devotion to Jesus, but also to his church. And we touched on that last week. It's very easy to say, I love Jesus. I don't love the church. And I understand why. Because the church is broken, fragile, messed up, awkward, difficult social situations sometimes, super cheesy on very many occasions. All, you know, there's so many issues with the church. I don't need to unpack them. There's so many You can read the newspaper. There's so many issues with the church. But these people knew that. They weren't naive. But they said, we want to devote ourselves to Jesus and to his church. Because Jesus said, if you love one another, this koinonia, this unique Christian love for one another, if you love one another, then people will see that you're my disciples. So the love leads to Revival. It's the love between them that leads to people coming to faith. So love one another. Give yourself. Now the question is, do you love the church? That's a very hard thing to say because the church sounds like an institution in the building. But do you love other people? Of course you do. So here's the encouragement, the challenge to me is, can I love deeply Again, those people that God has put around me. Can I actively devote myself to the community of faith and say, I'm going to love people and I'm going to receive back uh, from them as well. And it says they, they devoted themselves with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. We need one another. We ne I need you. You need me. I need you to comfort me when I'm down. I need you to challenge me when I'm apathetic. Please do that. And you need me. We need one another. But what I love, the picture of health here, and I said that healthy things grow. This picture of healthy church, uh, can you see the result? The result of this is it said at the very end of the passage, the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. We have lots of opportunities to invite people to experience Jesus coming up. 
I'm really excited about it. We've got the comedy night. We've got Alpha. We've got baptism services on the 1st of October. We've got Nick and Pippa Gumbel coming on the 8th of October. We've got a whole bunch of things that you could like, invite people to, Little Nicks, whatever it is. But if it's just about our invitation, it's not going to work. What people need to know is what's different about the church. What's different about people who follow Jesus? And Jesus already said it. It's our love for one another. Healthy things grow. Can we pursue health individually and as a community and see what God might do with that? Uh, about a year ago, we, we planted a vegetable patch. And uh, we'd had a tree in our garden that was taken down because of subsidence. And we put in this vegetable patch. I say we. I did absolutely nothing. My wife did it all. And she got all the soil ordered. She got the, um, uh, she got the boards and everything. I think we've got a little picture of the, the, uh, when we'd, we'd made a little vegetable. Oh, no, the other one. Oh, dear, that's a shame. Oh, there we go. Before and after, wonderfully revealed. So here, here's the bit. Here is it before. It's a little box of soil. The second one is, that's our kids. Can you see the amount of growth that has happened there? I mean, that is crazy within a couple of months. And that is a uh, courgette, which is, we're very proud of. And that's my son and daughter and a bunny. Just anyway. So, um, the point of that, we did almost nothing. I, I mean, I did literally nothing. My wife did almost nothing. She watered the vegetable patch. That's pretty much it. And these seeds began to grow. Healthy things grow. Wouldn't it be amazing to see the church grow again in this country, in this city? Wouldn't it be great to see Bristol full of churches? Not just one, but many churches. Wouldn't it be amazing to see those things that we dream of? Well, why don't we invest in health, invest in our own faith and the faith of the church, commit ourselves, devote ourselves to one another again, and see what God might do. Should we pray? Why don't we stand? Uh, why don't we just uh, allow ourselves um, a moment just to ask Jesus to speak to us. You know, his promise is that he will speak to us if we ask. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. Why don't we just do that now and invite him to speak. And um, what you might want to do is just close your eyes. And, speaking to Jesus is, is prayer. That's another word for it. And we just, we're going to pray to God together. Pray to Jesus and you might just close your eyes. You might even want to picture Jesus in front of you because he's here. That's his promise. He says, where you're gathered, I'm there in the midst. He's here. And why don't we pray to him and say, you might want to um, echo this prayer. Lord, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me as much as for anyone in the early church. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you made me uniquely, with a unique purpose, calling. And Lord, I want to say, I love you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give me a love for your church. Give me a love for those around me. 
help me to love as you love me. Amen.